That's it. We're live. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Voyage of the Geek. I'm Dave Scotland, Dan Miller, and let me swap over here. Our very first panel member slash guest. Mm. I want to say panel member so that he's uh, more of a, a regular uh, occurrence in the Geek Studio uh, is Tom McGill. Hello. Welcome Hello. along, sir. Good to be here. Where we, uh, we discuss all things geek <laughs> in the world. And today, uh, Tom, a discussion with Tom yielded a very interesting question, Dan, that we, I think we need to d- ponder it beyond just this one show. Ponder beyond. The, the definable difference mm-hmm. between a geek mm-hmm. and a nerd. Because mm. I believe one can be one while still being the other, but I'm not sure whether it goes both directions. We may need Venn diagrams. Yes. So that that's quite it, – it's got meta writ, written all over it. That's a question for the ages. So do we have any thoughts on the difference? Well, I think I made the mistake of actually offering some some nerd content. Yes. And uh, As opposed to geek as content. As opposed to geek content, yes. Ah, right. I was thinking, well, if I'm on the show tonight, is there anything I should be preparing? Uh-huh. Here are some things. And – Apparently that was too nerdy. <laughs> it's the wrong it, category. It certainly, it, it well not too nerdy, but it was distinctly nerdy. Yes. I think it was science. It was science and astronomy or something. Which like is that. still yeah. the geeks will dabble in relation to their interest in other things sometimes more than just pure love of science. But it still exists. My definition that we need to workshop. We need to find out if I'm even accurate because I, I would like to know. My definition is more. It's it's an interest in something to a to a much greater degree than the norm is the geek so you can get you can get geeky about sport you can be a sports geek yeah you can be film geek uh, yeah. that's the way i define it but i could be totally wrong does the, does the interweb define it at all all right you look up geek i'll look up nerd nerd well we may be interesting to actually think up our own definitions first well, you got mine. I'm on record. Well, I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know how I tell, tell them apart. I think nerd is an older word referring more to an outcast and a, than a geek. Yeah, the, the classic nerdy idea is the, you know, the respectable buck-toothed child who runs around with a, with a pocket calculator and always has a pen on him. Yeah, yeah. And so is a, is a bit and, of a and, fool, right? An, an outcast and a fool. That's yeah, a nerd. Socially uh, awkward Part but of, a geek, I, I feel, is more competent, right? Generally, yeah. And and certainly you can get away with calling a big guy with tattoos a, a, a geek if he gets into Star Trek or mm. – and, and, and in this day and age that's definitely more the norm yeah. than, than not. But I don't think you can get away with calling the same guy a, uh, a nerd. All right. So, no. look. What, there's different definitely – So there's something – something's there, isn't there? Yep. Cool. So did you get the geek? Okay, so I've got the geek, you've got the nerd. I've got the nerd. So read us out the nerd. Uh, a foolish or contemptible person who lacks social skills or is boringly studious. So that fits. Okay. That yep. fits. Yeah. Yep. It kind of fits studious. the school environment, really. Yeah. So the first definition of a geek, an unfashionable or socially inept person. That's almost the same. Well, this lacking social skills is the same. Aha, uh-huh. engage in or discuss computer-related tasks as obsessively or with great attention to technical detail. Yeah. Mm. The computer-related thing's interesting. 
Because there's that, that would indicate that maybe we've borrowed mm. the geek thing. Maybe people have borrowed it a little bit, mm. and I'm, just because of the level of interest and passion about something, that's, and bent it over to their. All right, if we're going to geek slash nerd out, we have to actually go to the <laughs> etymology of it. Ah, right? uh, nice. Is it entomology or etymology? etymology. Entomology would be insects. That's mm. right. Which is right up your alley, is it not? <laughs> I don't like insects up my alley, but. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So what's your, t- tell me, what is your exact degree in? Uh, I've got scientific a. Scientific degree. It's generally just a degree, in, a master's degree in biology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I majored in zoology and botany. So pretty much the classic, basic stuff. Uh, and my, my, but then my thesis was in insect immunology. Mm-hmm. So that's where the entomology, it, so entomology. When you in. made a decision to study that, where, where was it, where was it going to take you? Where, where did you see yourself? What vet, uh, veterinary? I think, I think like so many, you know, we, we do, we work in computer graphics and 80% of our students want to be modelers and concept, uh, you know, character concept artists. And in biology, 80% of the students who start that want to become marine biologists. Hmm. And I'm a, you know, keen scuba diver. Hmm. And I, you know, one of the reasons I love it here in Australia, by, by my accent you hear that I'm not originally from here. But uh, as many, many Germans who live in Australia are uh, scuba divers. Hmm. And we love, love hmm. the marine environment. And wow. so, yeah, as I, I was, uh, you know, like so many students thought, Marine biology would, that's where it's at. Mm. But that's very popular and very difficult to get into. And during my studies, it didn't really take me there because I was <laughs> made, the, made the mistake of going to the wrong university for the first place. You don't study that in, in, in the middle of Germany. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're not good by sea. <laughs> the, the, was the class size generally small? It was huge at the start of the, uh, of the first semester mm. and then it dropped off and dropped off. And then by the end, after eight semesters, you can sort of, you know, half the people that actually mm. graduate. Mm. Yeah. It's, um, it's, a, it's an expensive field of study. You put the word marine mm. in front, because I've owned boats, mm. right? So I'm just guessing that it's an expensive field of study because if you put the word marine in front of a bolt, yeah. you've tripled its cost. <laughs> the, the big, big uh, advantage, I think, is knowing that a lot of these marine biologists or people who've, you know, trying to make a living with their marine naval knowledge work on cruise ships as, as part of, you know, the token zoologist on board. And they take people out onto the reef and fish out a starfish and explain starfish yeah. things about them or show slideshows on the side of the boat. Hmm. I've got friends in my, my other hobby is astronomy <clears throat> and I've got friends in the Astronomical Society who who regularly get invited to come on a cruise because the operators want to have an astronomer on mm. board who brings out a telescope and shows the people Venus and gives talk on bad weather inside That's of awesome. the boat. That's such a great cool. idea. Isn't yeah. It? yeah. And they go, you know, he takes his wife and mm. she pays a little fee and he gets for free and they, they travel the world on, on mm. cruise ships. You <laughs> yeah. Know? Absolutely, because that, that's, a, that's a deep degree of knowledge about the subject matter. You can't make a living with that, but you sure as well, sure you can have fun. You can make a good holiday. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and that holiday can just go forever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as a lot of people find when they go and work in the Wit Sundays as a barman, they're still there 32 years later. Just keep rolling the holiday. <laughs> uh, not me. If I, if I, if I was European-based and... and um, studied marine biology, the last place I'd want to go to, knowing what I know and being the 
water coward that I am, I would never go to Australia. Because mm. mm. soon, sooner or later I'd have to get in the water. Mm. And something chased me out of the water a long time ago and I haven't been back. Was that in Queensland? That was, was down here at a place called Gorilla Bay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know where it is? Yeah, just, yeah I've been there lots just of Just north of Tomican. Yeah. Down the rocks we'd scuba, uh, not scuba, snorkel. The snorkel. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I, I had a keeper net full of fish, me and another mate, no buddy system. He just mm. – and I looked up out of the water because I hadn't seen him for a while and he's clambering up the rocks. Yep. And I'm sort of treading water looking at him and said, what's up? And he didn't answer. He just went like this and just waved me in, one hand movement. Okay. And I knew instantly because I grew up with this guy. <clears throat> um, I knew instantly that there was something wrong. So I plunged my head in the water and oh, – Maybe three or four metres away from me was the keeper bag being torn apart by a tiger shark. Oh. And it was a very large tiger shark. No, that's, that's scary. And I walked on water. I mean, <laughs> when I say large, Dan, like that is, that's the girth of it. Yeah, right. Wow. It's like a tree. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, was, it was just so worrying what I saw. <laughs> and the whole time, it probably only took me seven, eight seconds to get to shore. Mm-hmm. But the whole time, man, it felt like time stood still and I knew this thing was about to bite me the whole <laughs> yeah, way yeah, in. Yeah. And I've never been back in the ocean deeper than that. The scary <laughs> thing is that your buddy was already ahead of you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I could have left him behind. If he's behind you, then <laughs> chances are better. <laughs> All right, Dan, I'll, I'll let you uh, lead off this week because I've got a subject uh, to finish us off that's a little bit more conversational than mm-hmm. um, some of the stuff I've – Got before, mm-hmm. so I think um, which could it, it could erupt into just chaos. Okay, awesome. Let me swap you over here. Um, to finish off our previous discussion, nerd. Nobody knows where it came from. Greek comes from German. Geek. What's Geek. That? Sorry, Greek. Geek comes from German. Geck. Geck is a German uh, word for fool. Being, yeah, being crazy, yeah, jumping around. Yeah. <laughs> Geck, <laughs> fool. Geck. Well, there it is there, right? Yeah. Jamaic origin. Wow. Geck. So there you go. There you go. Awesome. All right. So in the, um, in the last couple of podcasts, over the last couple of podcasts, we were talking about computer games, various different things, and the topic of No Man's Sky had come up and um, – Elite Dangerous, and we were talking a little bit about those. And so the last, you know, the the last of the, the big three, I think, is um, Star Citizen. Mm. So I kind of wanted to start off a little bit with Star Citizen. Um, so as a bit of an explanation for people who don't know much about Star Citizen, it's a computer game, um, space combat computer game that's been crowdfunded. And it took off, <clears throat> right? So they're up to $140 million or something or other. It's the largest ever crowdfunded um, enterprise, certainly the largest ever crowdfunded computer game. Where, just incidentally, where does that stand <clears throat> in relation to a, a AAA budget? Um, that's definitely up there. Some of them, I, I think AAA budgets will be maybe... Seventy million, but they could That's go up to like three hundred million or something oh, really? like that. So really? they can really push up quite yeah. a bit higher, especially if there's a lot of new tech involved. Yeah, yeah, but okay. one hundred and forty million. I think that's where they're at at the moment. And if yep. you think about it, actually comparing it to movies, that's a big budget. Yeah, 
summer blockbuster movie, which is interesting. It's actually to compare the two. Crazy amount of money. Yeah, yeah. 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 <clears throat> so um, <clears throat> this is the guy who heads it up. Um, oh, dang it! What's his name? Anybody remember? And it's not Braben. It's, no, no, that's David Braben's the other one. It's um, oh, um, Star Citizen. It eludes me. All right. Doesn't, yeah. doesn't you, matter you go right ahead and I'll moment. find it. <clears throat> yeah, okay, cool. So they started up a while ago. Now, when I first heard about it, there was loads of games coming out. There was Elite, for example, that was sort of happened at the same time. Now, Elite generated $5 million, and this generated ultimately at the end $140 million. Now, what I was witnessing when I was watching them come out was that um, Elite was up and running and they had their game going much faster than Star Citizen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and what I was also seeing from Star Citizen was um, feature creep, what yes. I, I perceived as feature creep. It's uh, Chris Roberts, by the way. Chris Roberts. There you go. Thank you very much. Right, Chris Roberts. So what and, would- and feature creep, like that's, you're underselling it. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. It's, they've literally tried to shove – or there's at least three games – that, yeah, that yeah. they've shoved into it, and there's probably more in there if you look deeper. One of the good things about Star Citizen is it's always had this open development. Um, so they've been very, very open, mm. like way more open than a AAA game where it's actually this like X-level ultra secret mm. where, you know, they have guards at the doors. They're, these guys, they're very, very, very open. Um, <clears throat> so they discuss their progress. They discuss their milestones. They discuss what's going to be in the game, what's coming up. Mm-hmm. And this is where the feature creep I was suspecting was coming in is that they'd have geeks or nerds, depending on your definition of choice, um, constantly sending questions in. And this is kind of good is that Chris Roberts would answer those questions, but he always seemed to be answering in the positive. Yeah. All right. So they'd say, you know, are you going to have beards and mustaches in the game? And Chris Roberts says, oh, yes, we've got plans for beards and mustaches. We'll put those in the game for sure. And then another person would say, so you're going to be able to wax your moustache in the game? And he says, oh, yes, we've got the, the you know, plans for waxing moustache mechanic. Yes, it'll be control M on the keyboard. It's going to be awesome. So <clears throat> it seemed like there was all these things getting piled into the game. And I felt a little bit suspicious, actually, that they were just promising the world. And um, yep. it was all going to collapse in a big heap. Yep. Right? Particularly because Elite Dangerous was out. Mm. And they had a working spaceship game with shooting and flying in between planets and stuff. That was impressing people. <laughs> that was impressing people. Mm-hmm. All right. Did you – Did you? another thing, I guess, that affected my – because I'm the same. I'm, uh-huh. I was dubious. Mm-hmm. They had some Comic-Con uh, – not Comic-Con, GameCon, um, game conference type events mm-hmm. that didn't go well. Mm. The tech. Like a room full of screaming yeah, fans. Yeah, I remember some of those. And the tech went down and I just seemed to mm. con- remember there was more than one mm. where he was standing in front of a room with this wry grin, chuckle, mm. you know, uh, development, mm. you know. And yeah, yeah. It just yeah. seemed very awkward and then it never quite – and just when you thought, yeah, this is cool, like, you know, he's leaving the spaceship, he's free-floating mm-hmm. through and then it would glitch out and crash. That – and then that's – I could – I could close that video and go and jump in Elite Dangerous and it was working perfectly. Mm-hmm. And to me, that I was the same. I was sort of that sort of added to my suspicion of where so, they are. Yeah. So they'd put a first person shooter into the game as well as the space thing, and then there's sort of combat and there's persistent a persistent universe, as they say. So 
objects exist in the universe and they can move around into different locations and they still exist. We pass from player to player, that type of thing. So um, this comes along in 2016 and ooh, one of the things that they did was they switched to, and I don't know too much about this, enough to be dangerous as they say, yep. but they switched to a 64-bit system, an operating system, a 64-bit coordinate system. They're using the Cry engine, um, <clears throat> and I think the Cry engine was, I don't know, not 64, it was 8 or 16-bit or something rather. So what that means to me, and I only know enough to be dangerous, is that <clears throat> the coordinate locations of any object could be written is, as an 8-bit number. Yep. So the X position, the Y, and the Z position, if there's coordinates in space, could be an 8-bit number. So that means that the, the maximum size of the universe would literally be defined by that. You can top out. What are we talking? Um, <clears throat> Sixteen million? Uh, something like that. Something. Yeah, something like that. Twenty-four bit to So because is it twenty-four bit? Well, there's yeah. millions, billions, and trillions with the colours, and I thought, always thought that was eight. 16, How many zeros are we talking? We'll see. We're, <laughs> yeah, we're definitely getting into the yeah. You know, but they've anyway, up the stakes. That's a, that's a big G. So a big leap. So they've gone up to sixty-four bit. So that means, to the best of my poor understanding is that they've got much, 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 much more room to play with. Yeah. So something can be more, more you know, uh, finely, precisely uh, decided on its position, essentially. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Yeah. So this um, video here is them showing off their, their um, essentially their new tech. So I'm not actually going to play it, but I'll, I'll just stop on some, some different points. Um, and this is important because uh, for the development. So I'm actually rewinding here. So they've got a couple of guys that are playing the game and then Chris Roberts is going to be directing what they're doing. Um, you can tell there's an artist involved here. Look at the lighting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they're, they're, yeah, red, red and blue. Yeah. Um, so the character starts up in a space station and you walk through the space station and then you get on a spaceship. Then what they're doing here is they're bringing up the the navigation system. Yep. Okay. And then they're going to fly to another another planet in the solar system. Yep. Now this is without any loading screens and without any instancing. It's all real time. And it's all real time. Yep. Okay. So remember, if you had a ga let's call it an old school game, mm. you would be in an instance. Yep. And that means that you'd be in the the room. Yeah. And then when you went out to the the space dock. There'd be a, a door would open and there'd be yeah. a little loading time. Yeah, yeah. Then your character would be loaded yeah. into the the new server and with that. Smart game developers would put a decompression <clears throat> sequence or something. Yeah, to yeah. hide it. To hide it exactly. Yeah. Load times cool. to hide yeah. the load times. Same with you when you're in your spaceship and to get to the next instance. Yeah. So when you were ever in one instance, there would be there, another person would not be in that instance with you. Yeah. So there'd be this sort of barrier. Yeah. Okay, so they haven't left this same instance, right? Yeah. So they're now in this um, space thing here. They then can fly over to the planet next door, and apparently you can fly on slow speed or you can go into hyper jump or whatever. Hyper jump takes you a little time, but for the geeks and nerds that yeah. want to to test it, yeah. you know, Chris Roberts says you can actually, and it will take you exactly seven weeks to fly <laughs> there, you know, whatever it is. Um, so anyway, they go over to the other planet. They're, and there's two guys in this spaceship. Yep. They go down onto the planet. Oh, that's right. There is two. So they're sharing this. The <clears throat> yeah. So there's two okay. people here. And you you can, from memory, 
have one of you, one of the players can fly it while the other one is asleep on the rack in the back. Yeah, yeah. or in, in the turret <laughs> shooting yeah. or yeah. jumping out. As and so far yeah. still all the same instance. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So no loading or real time. <clears throat> so this planet is also procedurally generated, and we yeah. were talking about procedurally generated stuff versus the yeah. sort of hand-created stuff. Mm. This was an interesting part of the video where um, – Chris made a bit of a joke about emergent gameplay and you were talking about things going wrong. What actually happened was that they landed the spaceship on the thing. But, but the ramp was a high. little too high. <laughs> yeah, so that would have been a bit of a killer for the rest of his presentation if they couldn't get the dude back yeah. in the spaceship. Yeah, I think he I think he <clears throat> had to take off and move forward yeah. and then land. Yeah, yeah. So that was a bit of fun. Um, and then they, they arrive at this, um, at this um, space station on another planet and this is the uh, – I'll turn the sound off, but this is probably the most important bit. And that is once they get up to this statue, so one of the guys has jumped out and he's inside the space station and they have a look at this statue. That's right. Um, and then in a second, when he looks out the window, <laughs> there's the spaceship that he arrived in. Yeah, with his so mate at the wheel. With his mate at the wheel. And they're going to do camera, in, uh, picture in camera, and they're going to swap back and forth, and, and one of the guys is <laughs> going to And it's real time. Look, and now they're time. sitting next to each other, right? <clears throat> yeah. So there's a bit of wet, wet So he's lag, waving, probably. right? He's waving down the, the track. Yep. Okay, so that's to prove that it's not in a separate instance and um, – you know, so the crowd's going wild in the background here. So yeah. that's the the main thing that I I suppose. And okay, I wanted to to show you was that um, just quickly. You know what that means? What we can all go and meet at this pub, yeah, and watch races outside the window of actual players racing in the same instance. Yeah, and we can cheer and commentate mm. them. And yeah, wow, yeah, that's awesome. So it is. It's pretty crazy, and it and it. You know, from what they were saying and from what the little I know about it, it seems like it's pretty groundbreaking technology that they're actually coming up with. Yeah. He was using words like, the, this is their, the programmer's baby. Yeah. He used words like that, which means that these, these nerds are really, they're going, they're going pretty hardcore. They're dreaming up crazy, crazy things. They've got somebody who'll give them a million dollars to yeah. sit down there and solve this problem. Yep. And they're literally doing money's no option, <clears throat> sort of thing. Because yeah. the checkbook's still open, isn't it? Like it continues to be crowdfunded. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're still making Because they sell ships. Yeah, that's right. Some that's guys the, bought every ship there is, and I think it's over 30 grand. Easily. Some of the, they, they've actually got capital ships you can buy. <laughs> this is like shit. multiple thousand dollars yeah. worth of virtual capital ships. Like real buy. money. We're talking real money. You've got to drop your own money because that goes into the crowdfunding, right? to get to buy those ships. Now, I'm such a miser that I'd never do anything like that, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but some people do, mm. and um, I don't know. It's kind of like it's sort of coming together, <laughs> you know. So I started off by saying that, you know, there's lots of feature creep and there's also crazy, crazy stuff, but they're pulling it together. Man, that's <laughs> when I saw that the other day, that's space sim porn, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, like it's yeah. everything you've ever wanted. Without and and I remember I I got hooked. Well, no, I probably got hooked. Um, X Wing Tie Fighter days, right? X Wing yep. Alliance and that sort of stuff. It was fantastic to be able to to dogfight in with no horizon, mm. you know, and it was just mm. really cool. Um, and and those games you would like you love you, you always speak of that flight dynamic mm. that is more plain than mm. than oh, look, the, the, Apollo Fifteen <laughs> again. If you want to talk about nerding and geeking out, when the when the when the spaceship. Is going into the atmosphere, so mm. all these atmospheric effects are starting to you know, the re-entry thing. 
and kind of almost in an offhand way, and this this shows you the power of nerds and geeks, mm. you know, Chris Roberts says, oh, yes, and by the way, the um, the, 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 the spaceships, the shapes of the spaceships have been flight modelled, so there's actual aerodynamics. They've got some sort of aerodynamics and there'll be lift in the game. Mm. So if your spaceship's a box, it's going to fly like a box, but if it's got wings and it's actually got a tail, oh, yeah, yeah. it'll actually fly in the atmosphere better. So, yeah, they're kind of leaving no, um, you know, they're, 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 they're doing it properly. Like, yeah. And what he said also was that, you know, he wanted to have an object. You could pick up an object from over in one of those, that space station where they started. You could physically put that object yeah, yeah. in your spaceship and it would sit there on the floor. Yeah, that's right. It'd fly all the way over to the thing, put it down somewhere else in yeah. here and it'd be there right. and your friend could come and pick it up and he could do something I with it. I think that's what they do later in the video, isn't it, when they take that motorcycle or the, you know, the hover, hover cycle out of the uh, salvaged spaceship mm -hmm. and they park it inside their thing and that's awesome. fly away with it. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Did you play Freelancer? See, for me, Freelancer had way too many of those loading screens you talk about, mm. and the instances were so noticeable, mm. jumping from one to the other. Um, but a similar thing where you would land. Wasn't there some kind of paths crossing with Braben and this and Roberts? Didn't they both have something to do with – no. They both made previous – What was the one they turned into a movie? Um, Wing Commander. Wing Commander. That's yeah. Roberts. Yeah, yeah. So Roberts's lineage is it's got Wing Mark Commander. Hamill in it as with, yeah, 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 with Mark yeah. Hamill. And yeah. um, Braben's lineage is elite. Elite from yeah. 1982. Yeah, and kind of they're both moving in the same yeah, space. They're, they're like they're potentially arch nemesis, but yeah. I think they actually cooperate, don't they? Well, I don't know if they cooperate, but they certainly don't don't fight each other. Yeah, they're not. I think. Yeah, they're not sticking it to one another. But I got a feeling, man, this thing is probably going to kick Elite's ass. But you can see, well, that's what I was sort of saying is that I think Elite came out of the starting blocks uh -huh. and like was sprinting really hard, yeah. but then started to get a bit tired. Yeah. And the slow burn of um, Star Citizen might be catching them up. Well, if the game looks anything like that video, mm. the, the scary thing is the complexity. Because mm. where's the. At what point will this get boring? Yeah, if they don't have variety. So you you talked about um, No Man's Sky a few weeks ago, mm. and how it's all procedural based, and every every single planet is different. But that is isn't enough. The fact that they're just different is still the same. It's just a different kind of the same. Mm. You go to a planet, and yeah. sure, there's different animals, but it doesn't it doesn't make it any more valuable because the next planet will again have different animals. Yeah. So and even here's, the difference becomes monotonous. Yes, because yes. a range gets established, you know, and a certain mm. you start to see the boundaries mm. and work out. Okay, I'm over this side, I'm mm. over that side, but there's still boundaries mm. because it keeps changing. So where's the gameplay? It looks mm. beautiful. This game is has because I'm a visual person and I love beautiful art. Yeah. you know, and uh, it's got my mouth watering. It looks great. Did you see when they came through the atmosphere? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was all yeah. heating mm. up and the... I saw put us back on the um, a, a talk about a year ago by one of their concept artists uh, by the name of Gumurk Basin. Mm. And he is... Yeah, he, he designs the spaceships for, you know, final approval. Mm -hmm. But what he designs in is in For 3D. this? Yes. Oh, awesome. For, for, for Star Citizen. And he actually builds them in 3D. 
with all the detail, and they look like those final ships. They're so, stunning to look at. And he at. makes them in modules, and so he does three or yeah. four or six or eight different variety, variations oh, yeah. of the same spaceship. Yeah. But they're essentially 3D models at the quality of the game. So when when he gets approval for one, essentially mm. they could just take it. <laughs> I love the way they, it's brilliant. they present new ships like a car dealer. Mm. So it's, it's, it's more like a Mitsubishi ad than it is a, a, a spaceship ad. It's, it's, it's a marketing exercise from a fictitious company that's selling hardware sort of thing. It's selling a vehicle. Mm. And, they, you know, and just the spiel and the voiceover stuff that they do, it's so authentic and, and cool. There's another thing that they mentioned. They mentioned, they didn't give specifics, but this is something that I think is really important, is they, they mentioned making um, things in the game that would make uh, YouTubers more easily able to produce video content oh, from cool. it. Because you can imagine if like you want to do marketing. cameras and yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were talking about this before, and this is one of the biggest failings, I think, of – well, not one of the biggest failings, but a failing, of, a failing. Elite, of Elite Dangerous yeah. is that – they, they blocked that, you know, they blocked that. You think about World of Warships, they've got previews. Mm. It automatically records a preview for you of the mm. of the game you just played. Yeah. And then any person who's on YouTube can just grab a hold of that, put it together into a video, and you've got entertaining video to watch plus advertising for your game. And, and Instant. I, be- I believe Braben actually took a stance on it. Like it, it, when when the question was asked... His attitude was, I don't want to take away the immersion. That's right. Yeah. And, and it, that makes sense right up until the point that someone wants to make some cool videos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just to do it, you've got to leave pilot mode. You've got to type in a hack to actually go into programmer mode mm. where you're viewing what's mm. going on. from, And you can't control the ship while it's happening. Yeah, yeah. So there's some, there's some guys online like Obsidian Ant and, and those sorts of guys. They make video. I don't know how they make those videos. But they all have to be kind of first person unless you can sort of somehow hook up with a friend who's mm. going to record you and then send you the video and then you have to splice it together. So, mm. Isn't it funny that this video <clears throat> is pretty much what Elite Dangerous is trying to do mm. with this season mm. release, with the Horizons mm. Planetary landings, mm-hmm. um, share the cockpit, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's passenger uh, contracts, there's a whole bunch of stuff. And when you look at it, if we were to f- jump forward in time to at the end of this season, this Elite Dangerous Horizon season, mm. you would have a game that sort of looks like that. Mm-mm. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coincidence? But I, But they don't have the money behind them. They're down to $4 million and change. Yeah. And... and and Chris Roberts is accelerating off to $140 million and change. Uh, yeah. Right. Or it's something like that, something like that. So That that thing yeah. looked awesome. I mean, the lighting was beautiful. The mm. textures were beautiful. The shaders, all the shaders. Yeah. Are it's, as I said, it's mouth-watering. But yeah. what I have to, has me excited is that, as you said, cockpit sharing. You know, mm. I can play the game. I love playing computer games with friends. Yeah, same here. And, uh, and being able to, you know, get picked up, go into the spaceship, fly to a mission yeah, and, uh, you know, be the rear gunner or just do things, to do missions together. Absolutely. Is if, if that gameplay works really well, if especially if there's missions that you can do or, or contracts that you have to fulfill that you can't do by On yourself. your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is what's going to make the longevity increase is when you produce a sandbox 
and you just fill it with toys. Yeah. You know, there's spaceships and there's cars and there's vehicles and you can yeah. get in and out of them and there's little places to hide and you've got guns and you've got stuff to buy and sell. Yeah. Job and done. And then people can just. Just introduce scale. Like just, a lot of scale, yeah. The final ingredient <clears throat> is scale. Mm. Like you've got super big ships and little mm. tiny ships. You've got super big planets and little tiny planets and space stations and, and you've got all these different possibilities. But it's, it's that instance thing that really excites me. Mm. That excites me. Mm. I, I think we've got it right in game dev when you have to find a place for your character to go and sleep because he, it's it's in the game while you're out of the game. You know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. your avatar is there and can get mugged and murdered and mm. whatever. It's, you've got to go inside. You've mm -hmm. got to protect yourself mm. while you're not in the game. Mm. The only way to do that is for it to be one big consistent instance that everyone shares. It can be very funny because mm. I, I play with friends over in Europe yeah. and they're in a different time zone. So often they will, you know, we, we, we will play when it's evening here and it's mm. their lunch break or something. Mm. So mm. it'd be funny that, you know, I'm asleep in the ship, yeah. And in here in Australia, I'm I'm asleep. But they're playing in Germany. There's this guy constantly lying in the <laughs> yeah. bed there that they can't wake. And no matter what happens, this guy's <laughs> absolutely. And and you would have a go through. You could pockets. have a unique advantage, couldn't you? Because you could you could run twenty four seven hauling and twenty four seven services. Well, see, this is what builds even better um, sort of gameplay experiences is when people start to group up and yeah, then yeah. they make. Um, you know, guilds and things outside of the game yep. and then they all get together and do stuff. Yep. You know, EVE Online, you know, lots of famous stories about those type of things happening. Um, and that's – And people get right into that. If we can – I think that's – I think outer space is probably the best place to try to get that right. Mm. If, can you remember the – I think it was the third Matrix movie. It could have been the second. Mm -hmm. They announced this game that they were going to make and it was the real world matrix. It was like you, you, it was a city, it was an entire city and you could, you could literally go up to the 16th floor of a sky rise building and kick, kick a door down and, and be in that room sort of thing. And they mm -hmm. promised this, this thing that it was 24 seven multi. Mm -hmm. but I didn't know any better at the time. Mm -hmm. I wasn't re I, I, I didn't understand computer games to the same degree that I do now. And I just accepted it. It, was totally impossible. Like it was never going to work. You, at most, you might have had sixteen, maybe twenty people that could play it. Yeah. This they they announced this immersive big world where anyone on the street is is another person in in another country. Mm. Uh, I, they they announced it like it was a real thing, mm -hmm. and it mm -hmm. was it was actually released on the DVD. Mm -hmm. It was one of the extra features on one of the DVDs. And, and this was that would have been the early two thousands when when Second Life was. <clears throat> Was was big. Did you ever check? Out I think Second it predated Life? Second Life. Did you ever Life? check that yeah. out? Did you ever check yeah, that out? Yeah, I tried it once. I think it comes standard, or I don't know. Is there a PlayStation equivalent? I, I definitely oh. played it. Went into a PlayStation version through the PS3 account. There was something built in, and it was you could be a DJ in the world and actually play at a club that people were in there, and they were, everyone was a real person. So this was early nineties when I heard about it. No, no, no. No, PlayStation 3. I'm talking about Second Life. Oh, no, no. No, that was early 2000s. Was it? 2000s, okay. Not much going on in the early 90s, man. Yeah, I suppose. It was all arcade. When Atari. I went into Second Life, you know, I was just doing, I was doing teaching at school and, mm. yeah, I saw, <laughs> it looked awful. <laughs> it was like. 
the lowest poly, 600 poly characters with the worst rigging ever and the the most sparse, empty boxes that was like a nightclub. It was all detached. (laughs) It was like, um, you've got enough credits to buy a cat. Now, it was. (laughs) What a cat. In some ways, it was was pretty good for its time, Mm. probably not as good as something like, you know, the original Half-Life or something like that. But... You know, I'd heard that people were spending fifteen thousand dollars on of real, money. real estate yeah, yeah. in Second Life at that time. Absolutely, yeah. yeah and that there's was- some crazy shit that goes on with games. Have you heard about that um, farm simulator stuff? There's a guy murdered in England because some other guy wanted his farm stock or something in the game. It was yeah, right. it's like a simulator farm mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. I remember when I saw it. it was, the the levels of obsession mm. are crazy. Wow. Yeah, I just yeah. I just read that that Second Life, which was launched in in June twenty two thousand three. Two thousand three. I was two thousand three. Is but it's still it's still going strong. It's still a million yeah. regular users. A million regular users. Yeah, as of as of uh, two thousand thirteen. Wow, twenty thirteen is. It? Be, I'm sure the arts. There's some shit going on. I'm in sure. There. I'm sure it's but much better now. I'm sure. Because yeah. it's a free for all, isn't it? Like there's no police, there's nothing. You can do anything in that world. Well, I I, I suppose so, but I don't think there's like guns and stuff. It's not like a, it's like Second Life. It's like it's like social media. Yeah. It's like you know Facebook, three D Facebook or something. It's a right? confidence suit for the socially inept. <laughs> yeah, for nerds. <laughs> um, and I think it also spawns a lot of businesses where people make hats and and. Uh, Skins and stuff, and they said, I don't know, there might have been Second Life through. through I'll, I'll have a look because I tried it, and it was this weird array of platforms where you'd go sort of over into that building over there that was on a platform. Oh, yeah, because I think there's some user user created stuff, and so people create a know, nightclub, yeah, yeah, and it's made out of some bizarre mm. thing that doesn't make much sense to anybody yeah. except the person who created it. And the animation loops are make you feel uneasy, yeah. I'm yeah. just looking at some images, and it doesn't. You've got to make concessions if you have such a huge game. You yeah. you have to make concessions in texture quality and, and polygons. A million regular users. But that's that's big numbers. You know, this uh, Starter Citizen seems to. Did, have all so, the did you find out whether? Remember, I I said the other week that we need to have a look and see if this is true. Mm. I thought the plan was when they pitched it as a crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. The plan was that they were. First, they were going to build a game called Squadron 42 mm. while they built the big world that is the full-blown Star Citizen. And if you if you buy your way into Squadron 42, it's effectively you're doing military service. Mm. So the whole storyline and everything is you're actually buying into military service. And like the, the Roman times, you could earn citizenship – because a citizen was mm. an elite, mm-hmm. where they, they were, they got benefits. Mm. Um, so to be a citizen in Star Citizen, you you had to buy your way in, which costs a lot of money, hundred like crazy money for a game, hundred twenty, hundred thirty dollars or something stupid. Or you could fly your way in as a as a military um, squadron pilot. I think the latter is. Um Squad, Squadron 42 um, is a um, like a prelude. So I think what will happen is that when you buy Star Citizen and you're not one of these early Uber backers, yeah. you buy Star Citizen, you'll first be presented with Squadron 42. Okay. That'll show you how to fly a spaceship and where the bad guys are. Do some and, missions. Yeah, yeah. And okay. Pick things up, put them down, talk to people. Yeah. 
and then you've graduated from your thing and then they cut you loose into the world. Cool. Nice. So, yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like the fact that I'm going to be flying around and th- in order for that person that flies past me to be in that ship, mm. they, w- they went through some training. <laughs> like they had, they can't, you, I like the idea that you can't be a citizen in this world, you can't exist in this world until you've gone through your learners. Mm. This is one of the complaints of, for people who play World of Tanks and World of Warships when you buy a tier 8 oh, premium, a premium ship. ship. Yeah. <laughs> so the progression in those games yeah. is that it's it's such an uphill battle to get to the tier 10 final vehicles mm. that you've probably played 40,000 games before you reach yeah. that level and then there are these You can these- tell you can tell which people have yeah, you see premium ship driven by somebody who's only had a, a thousand games. Yeah, yeah. They play it in a different <laughs> different kind of uh, reliability. <laughs> and it's you want it that way, don't you? You want to play against people that are, yeah, you know, that, that, are, that have the same similar rating and understanding of No, of it's kind of good for the game. It ensures that there's a population of people up at the higher level mm. and a population down at the lower level kind of thing. But yeah. on the other hand, how can you end up in a tier 8 game if you want to try out <clears> some, <throat> some larger commodities? Mm. And uh, as a newcomer, you want to see if that's for you. Mm. It's great that they do offer that opportunity. Yeah, mm. absolutely. You buy your way into a big ship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, the the risk is higher. Yeah, you suck at it. Yeah, yeah. but you you can be there, play with the big guys. You you get yeah. sunk. <laughs> it's crazy. And and just to think that we're playing games now where you buy insurance for your ship. Mm. Yeah, because if it goes and you don't have insurance and you don't have enough money, <laughs> you're out. You're out. You got to buy back in. Like you literally, if you can't buy a ship, you're out. <laughs> Are you saying that that's the case in stuff? Well, no, no, no. That's based on the model that I've seen. Yeah, like you, it's a cash commodity. It's a cash environment, isn't it? Like you get credits when you buy the game. You get a certain amount of credits. Yeah. But if you mismanage your credits, so same in Elite Dangerous. I think I'm pretty sure. If oh no, Elite, if, if you if you're broke, they still give you a sidewinder, do they? Yeah, they can still you can still get the base ship, base ship, basically, for which has got nothing on it. <clears throat> yeah. But yeah, you if you you have to pay for insurance to. So yeah, if you don't have ship. enough for the, for the insurance cost to cover the cost, and you lose yeah. the ship, yeah, yeah, you're in trouble. You're fucked yeah. if you've spent fourteen million credits or something like that. That's a big investment. So the insurance of time. is done with game credits as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in Elite, yeah. it's done with game credits, but this game allows real cash. Um, Purchases allows, but doesn't. Do I have to con, con, consider that I'll always be having a monthly payment into the game, or can I, I look at it? I thought it was a one-off payment. Like yeah. I think you buy a vehicle, you buy ships, and therefore you have to, and then you, you can lose those ships. I'm not yeah. sure what the the payment model is, but I think that um, the people who are buying ships now are really they're investing in the game. Yeah, that's really how it's how it's kind of got to be perceived. Mm. You know. Um, and I think on day one, that means that they'll start with a hangar with all of those ships in it. Yeah, nice. but I'm not sure. I, I don't think there's going to be monthly fees or anything like that. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. They, yeah. they, you, did you see at the same event, actually, the Elite Dangerous stuff that they announced? No. Is what it, did they next? There's quite a few things. Oh, uh, Actually... I did hear oh, fighters. S- yeah, launching right. fighters the, the out, of your, out of your ship. Yeah, yeah. So I've that's pretty a few cool. Things. Yeah, that's pretty cool because you could you could be a big hauler like a, like a truck driver, right? Mm. On the outside, mm. but on the inside, you have got this killer guy, <laughs> you know, that, that partners up with you, and he goes out with his elite <laughs> fighter ship and goes and just blows the hell out of everything, just draw them in. 
the uh, the concept of having a game that's constantly running in the background even while you're not playing mm. uh, normally it doesn't punish you but in this one if you say that there might be an insurance to pay do you pay that on a regular basis is that going to come out of your credits uh, every you know real time every 24 days or something you know what happens look, if you look. if you if you don't play if you decide I'm you know over it and you don't play for six months yeah. and you come back and your insurance is running out. And son, or your bank account is empty. <laughs> because that was ticking away in the background. Well, it would certainly ref- reflect reality, wouldn't it? <laughs> you leave well, any bank account for long enough, it'll be empty. In the in Elite, it's like a one-off payment. Yeah. But I think it would when be you cool. buy it, When you buy the ship, it's a, it's a payment. Yeah. You add it, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. a one-off payment. Mm. So I think it would be cool, though, you know, if they had, you know, insurance brokers and you yeah. could swap your insurance <laughs> to a dodgier guy who gives uh, you a better rate or something. Right? I think that'd be funny. So that's the type of thing that these guys would do, I'm sure. Do we have a release date for this? Um, 2016, but nobody believes that. Yeah. <laughs> it's been in the making for a very long time. The release date has been moved. <clears throat> do you want to try a little bit of the uh, American honey? It's my favourite. So um, that's a good discussion about that. We should probably keep this on the radar and just keep tracking these um Absolutely. these games as they move forwards. Yeah. We almost need to create a sh- a shoot off um the mind, the home mm. mind map mm. for space sims and then put all three as subclouds maybe in that same one. I don't know. So don't we've know. got a gaming one. We've got oh, these yeah. two guys here. So we'll, we'll probably build another one over here with um Yeah. with um Star Citizen in it. In it. So we don't know when when that's released. Twenty seventeen? Well, no, no. They reckon twenty sixteen for Squadron Forty Two. Yes, but I don't think anybody believes it's going to come out. I'm pretty sure that's what they they said. It's going to push into twenty seventeen. That's one of the things that happens when the money just keeps coming. But another good good thing is I think that sort of development they keep a little bit behind. That's the secret stuff that they keep secret. They're very open with the ships and whether you can curl your mustache or not, and all of the game mechanics. <laughs> but the actual star, uh, the Squadron Forty Two, uh, yeah, a bit secret about it. Well, I shall be partaking in the Squadron Forty Two in the. Okay, okay. Um, but this game, here's another point. This, how much will this game cost you, Dave? Ah, right. How much will this game cost you? And I'll give you a hint. It might cost you two and a half thousand dollars. And this is not buying a virtual spaceship. This is buying a fair income for reals piece of hardware kit to run the damn thing. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. So oh, you're, oh, yeah. we're talking like next gen. This is a pretty serious thing. You, you don't run this game on a potato, right? So like <laughs> inline 1070s or something. Look, I don't know. You can probably look up online and find people who are, who are specking out stuff, but I don't think it's going to be a um, – yeah, you might actually have to buy a PC to run the game, a specific mm. PC to run the game on. Imagine what you're going to have to buy if you want to run it VR. Yes, and you'll have to – yeah, you might even have to buy another PC <laughs> as well as the VR kit. And that's crazy. Mm. That's crazy. But it, it's sort of where we started out with PCs, didn't we, with, mm. with home computers. I believe one of the reasons they took off in a home sense, because mm. certainly most home PCs were being used for games, mm. right? And the reason PCs took off is that you could get in and put a, a better sound card in it, mm. better graphics card in it, more RAM. That bred a generation of P 
PC tweakers that mm. we could take the cover off and actually get because we have to because of the new Wing Commander game or the new yeah, – yeah, and yeah. so the software drove the, the hardware, mm. yeah, and then the hardware sort of overtook the software and then they – you know, and it's it's been this the whole way. Well, now it's ridiculous level of mm. hardware to play games mm. the way they want us to play them. It is an investment. Sometimes two two thousand. I think you might be right. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, necessary. It's essentially, if you want to make a game that you anticipate runs for the next ten years and keeps people interesting, is that you build it for tomorrow's technology yeah, and not for exactly. on yesterday's game engine. Yeah. Mm. So it Absolutely. has to drive. It's, yeah. It's a necessity. We, we looked at a Second Life a few minutes ago and mm. just at the, at the graphics and this is probably still running on the same game engine that it started on with yeah. 2003 mm. and we talked about world of tanks and that's mm. running on a game engine that was developed in the late 90s mm. the, the big mm. world engine mm. yeah and they've changed it and they've improved it and the looks is great but if you plan for this game to be going and going and keeping people entertained for until the mid 2020s yeah cuz they have to get it they have to get about at least a six year, six years worth of seasons out of out of this release, yeah. To do what? Before it's a total re, total rebuild, like a back to the drawing boards, new iteration, or just or do you just keep going? Do you just uh, keep I think keep it's going? It's very dangerous to move across. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just past experience, I think. You tend to stay unless you do a total yeah version two point you know make make a totally new game yeah on a totally new platform take advantage yeah. of new tech new, yeah, yeah, yeah. new game engine tech or something you'd end the old one though yeah or you know yeah because if and it would all come down to making money wouldn't it which well, is which is marketing well this is what I was just thinking about then to do what you know is Star Citizen going to be about making money because. We've already made $140 million. Yeah, but that's, that's <laughs> they, They've already made the money. No, but they're spending <laughs> that like you wouldn't believe. It's a different kind of game. You look at Wing Commander, right? Yeah. And then Wing Commander 2 and there's new ones and uh, or PlayStation, new game on the new PlayStation 4 and so on. You make a new version of a game that was big hit. And because you know the fans have played that one and it's over. Mm. And now you want to get them in and here's Wing Commander the next one but with fantastic graphics. Yeah. This kind of game where you make yourself a second reality and you invest, mm. it's not the kind of game that ends. And it's not the game you that you- don't want it. To no, win. you don't want it. And you don't want to move over to version 2.0 because it's got better graphics yeah. because, you know, this old one has all my shit in it. And a bunch of your mates are stuck mm. in the old yeah. one. Mm. Yeah, so it's, it's, I don't think this is going to be, this has to yeah. be just upgradable on the fly. It's it's world building, not game building. I think they said they wanted a ten year lifespan or something rather. Once ten it years, kicks, once it kicks off, yeah, that's a pretty good investment then. Yeah, because they're going to get ten years worth of sales mm. out of what is probably a high end AAA budget mm. up front. But I mean, they'll have to keep spending in in um, development, won't they? And maintenance. They have to pay for the servers. The servers, for yeah. example. A lot of the maintenance is just keeping the game interesting. Right. You know, Coming with new missions, new planets, new cities, just more of the same. So what do you think of this model that we're starting to see now where you buy a game and then 12 months later you pay for a season? You keep buying these seasons. Um, you, I even get seasons for Leanne. She's into the Legos games and you can buy seasons for those. And included in the seasons are uh, new levels, new new stuff. Lego World, that's okay. It's acceptable. It's almost like a new game. But in Elite Dangerous, you're 
you're literally paying for development they haven't developed yet up front. Mm. You have to pay for the season first and then they slowly drip feed you the development that they've promised. So far they've de- delivered it. So some of it has not worked very well and we've discussed it in the past. But what do you think of that model, that seasoned, where you're paying for a season of development that doesn't exist yet? It's really the same, the same model as the pre-order, the pre-order model, mm. where you buy something that doesn't exist and then they'll go and make it after you bought it. Mm. Um, and that, that gets a lot of backlash and a lot of people are very passionate about saying, no, do not do this, do mm. not give them money. Mm. Especially with the Elite Dangerous family, a lot of them <clears> are saying the same thing, that we, we, don't, we don't want to foot the bill for something that you might cock up. Mm. So is this something everybody needs to agree to? Like if I don't want to pay for the season, I can't play the no, game? No, no, you can still play, but you don't have all of the things that that season provides. So you're still flying around in the universe with the ships that so you... So somebody will, can land on a planet no, that I you, can't. No, you won't yes. be able to, no. Right. And, th- and if you think about it, that's what they did is they invented the tech yeah. the, to, to land on the planet and then they're essentially selling that as a, as a sort of a module of the game. Yeah. In the shared cockpit. Mm. But I think they're moving away from that because there's been a bit of a backlash from the community and there's some issues with it that are not helpful and as that is if my best mate Dave hasn't got that and can't afford that yeah. and Tom does and they want to have a cool gameplay experience but they're not at the same level, that's a bit of a killjoy. And, yeah. well, we could just pop over to Call of Duty, couldn't we? Mm. We could both run around in the maps there yeah. and shoot each other or whatever. The attention span is not long enough to give people that opportunity. They'll leave... Yeah, you're right. It's very tricky. If you want to introduce something game-breaking, game-changing in the Mm. literal sense of the word, you Mm. want to suddenly introduce, you know, that people can land on planets, which you couldn't do before. Yeah. That costs a lot of money of research. And for the team, the game developers, to invest into that, Mm. they need to maybe get the funding somehow. Yeah. So... It's interesting. I don't think it's a bad idea. I think I think it just means that you have to. It's it's your choice. You can you can choose that you're not interested in that new tech, and you can still play missions. Yeah. Or you can be one of the people who wants to invest a bit and get a bit more out of it. I think it's a good idea. I know a lot of people that sort of report on Star Citizen. They're very clear that a lot of them are very clear that this is an investment. They're putting money into as like investors. Yeah, yeah. But they're not. You know, they're supporting the game with And the return money. On, on the investment is Will fun. Will be fun later on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Imagine, and, imagine um, that as a, as a marketing speech to a room full of potential investors. You're going to give me money. Yeah, yeah. And you know what I'm going to give you? A 50% return in fun. <laughs> and giggles. Yes, right. If you took that money and spent it anywhere else, you would, get, you would not get as much fun Absolutely. As, Absolutely. as spending it with us. <laughs> Tell your friends. Bring your friends and family. We want all of all of your money, and then you can all share the fun, which makes it funner. Yes, now that's kind of true, isn't it? It's it's a virtual commodity. Yeah, it's, it's a it's an absolute virtual commodity. I I was blown away when I found out that was that someone was spending thousands of dollars for yeah. one ship. Yeah. Well, this, as Citizen. I was saying, it was news articles about Second Life. People spending not ten. But twenty thousand yeah. dollars on six hundred and fifty polygons and a two fifty six by two fifty six eight bit textures yeah. blasted everywhere. It's if crazy. you if you calculate how many hours you spend on these games, mm. and if you put a money value to the time that you sink in, and then the then the few thousand dollars that you spend on spaceships pales in comparison to the time that 
that you know sink into that game. Yeah, mm. yeah, and and the, and you know potentially if you're spending that much time in it, you're having fun. So potentially you're getting you know months of fun for what is then considered a measly investment. Yeah, thousand dollars for months of fun. It's mm. all very uncharted, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's all very new, and to, to play for to pay for a leisure experience like that, and for it to be. That for there to be no end point, you know what I mean? Like it's you go out for a drink, you know they're going to close the bar at three o'clock. <laughs> you know you go to a picture, the roll the credits, you're out of there. Mm. This is this open ended thing, and it just keeps mm. keeps going as long as you want it to go for. Season pass to the movies, and yeah. just turn up anytime you want, and yeah, go and watch a film. Allow right. me to uh, indulge you, gentlemen. Let me pop this up here. Aha. Yes. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. I don't want to steal your thunder and I'm not going to steal your thunder, but what I'm seeing is what I suspect <laughs> is loads of geeky nerds with blue tack, <laughs> chewing gum, well, and um, I'd be willing glue. to agree that most of these products started that way. <laughs> okay. But everything you're seeing here is actually commercial commercial product. And and what I want to even that ugly everything ha- stuck together everything absolutely most of the and oh, is that blue what I think it is that's just like a um look I'm stealing your thunder go for it dude sorry man no 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 say it well it looks like three D printed three D printed <laughs> blue framework where you stick your own cameras in yeah yeah okay. absolutely so what what I wanted to bring up was three sixty. Not virtual. Oh, that's the, the Lytro camera right there. Yeah. The uh, 360 Lytro. Yeah. Uh, second from second row from the top, yeah. This, um, I'm going to start off using Jason Fletcher's brilliant work on this article uh, at the site, the Full Dome blog, mm-hmm. um, which is a great site. I went through it a couple of times now, really going through some of the articles. Fantastic stuff. To find it all in one place is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a true appreciation of of the tech as opposed to about 50 other sites that might look like this that are actually these people, the people that own this bit of tech. Uh-huh. Are, are, Can sell it or something. Well, they're writing an article that points to their product being really cool. Uh-huh, uh-huh. This is more an enthusiast. Yep. Right, but very professionally done. So I'm going to use it as a, as a reference point, jumping off point. So what we're talking about and um, – this, we, we love to talk about things that are about to um, sort of rock the world as far as new tech, new directions. And the one that really interests me is 360 video. Mm-hmm. Now, some people call it VR, virtual reality. It's mm. not VR. It's, mm. it's, virtual reality is, is that. It's, it's, a, it's an unreal world. It's an unreal reality that you can walk around in, um, that you can look behind a tree. Mm-hmm. You can't do that with this. This is movie making with cameras that point in every direction so that you can turn around on a node, yeah? Mm-hmm. Or you can travel on rails, mm. right? You could be in a vehicle or something like that, but ultimately it's already been shot. Mm. You don't get a choice of how this thing uh, from your – you don't get a choice of your perspective of this world. Mm-hmm. And so virtual reality, you do. You can walk – you can move around mm-hmm. in it, yeah? Um, this is uh, – You can look around, but you can't move around. No, well, that's right. Yeah. Not Not – not by your own volition. Yeah. You're a passive observer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, the reason why I wanted to bring it up is, and the big question that I want to pose as we work through it is, 
what does this mean for filmmakers? What does this mean for guys like us, you know, that are periphery, or not periphery, but um, compartmentalised in the film industry? Where is this taking us? What does it mean um, in relation to narrative creativity? Mm. Yeah? Mm. Um, But I wanted to start out by showing you this um, array of uh, devices and I have to tell you, gentlemen, that billions of dollars are are being spent at the moment on this stuff. Mm. Billions of dollars. Um, I went to Sydney to that two-day event, Mm -hmm. two-day event, um, which was a virtual – it's the one you put me on to. Um, it was a, ver- a two-day 360 video event about what happens is you, you, you use one of these devices to shoot different directions and then eventually someone has to stitch that together. Mm. Now, some of these devices offer the software that sort of mongrels it into place and it does a pretty good job, uh, but it's certainly not our level. You know, you wouldn't be able to do it feature. You certainly probably would struggle to do anything HD, let alone 4K and above. Um, by using those software things. So generally people have to you, – you need man hours to stitch that mm-hmm. stuff together and, and then there's this, <laughs> this whole process of stereoscopic and, you know, we'll, we'll have a look at it. So really at the moment it's just 12, 12 cameras no, glued, no, that's, glued onto a stick. That's where I wanted to start it because um, we've moved a lot, mm-hmm. right? Now this is a comparison of 360 video rig categories, right? So we've got um, – these are 360 video rig here with a coverage of 360 by 180. So it's 180 from ground to ceiling, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. – you can't, you can't get any better than that. Um, so then we have some variations. That's the same as the first, but it's stereoscopic. Right. Then we have a, a partial 360 rig. So generally 360, but it's not a 180. It's not a true 180. So that can either be slightly above with mm-hmm. a hole in the bottom of the stitch mm-hmm. in the video or the opposite, mm-hmm. yeah? Mm-hmm. Or you can settle in the middle and have a little hole at the top and the bottom. Mm-hmm. But either way, it's not a full 180. Cylindrical is just a wrap. So you've got a big hole at the top and the bottom, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and it's a 120 degree sort of from the viewing position. Um Cylindrical stereo. Then you've got parabolic mirror. Now, this will make sense when I show you the bit of equipment that actually creates it, um, where you've, you literally film a mirror, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the mirror is parabolic and it captures – it sort of pre-distorts okay. the image for you when okay. you capture it. Yeah. Um, and then there's the fisheye, which mm-hmm. is 360 by 110. Um, fisheye lenses do range. Um, I know that there's a film I'm going to show you in a little while, not the – I won't show you the film, but I'll show you of it and, and skip through a couple of frames. I think they shot it with reds in an array, red cameras in an array, but they had to go out and find a fisheye lens that would do the job. And they only, they, the way they, what they had to do is find an out of date, no longer manufactured fisheye lens that was, it, it does like, um, oh, it nearly does 180 degrees. It's, it's the, this incredible fisheye lens. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an old Canon one, and they use Canon mounts on the reds. I believe that's that's the story, but I'll touch on that later. And then, of course, this is the stereoscopic version of this. So basically, this is, this, this is what a flattened um, spherical map looks like, and that's mm. what we're talking about. When you film 360 video, everything in the shot mm. is mapped to the inside of a sphere. Mm. Okay, there's no parallax because you're at a fixed point in space. So there can't be um, – there's no parallax at all. Everything is sort of projected on the inside of this sphere. Cool? You only get parallax when you transition. 
left, right, up, down, front, back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So generally you have to film and then stitch it together in such a way that you can wrap it on the inside of a sphere mm. and then have the viewer stand right in the centre of that sphere and look through an, an, um, a virtual set of goggles mm-hmm. at the world. Mm-hmm. And what they see at any given time is usually at most 1080p. Mm-hmm. You've got to be doing some special um, data sets to be doing bigger than 1080p, and I'll, I'll get to that shortly. So that's the challenge is to film like this. And we'll get to uh, – I'll mention in a minute what this poses as a, as a problem for the narrative form because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're filming in every direction to tell a story, all right? So let's come down here a little bit. We've got multi-camera rigs. Now, you were quite right. This array here can easily be 3D printed, but it takes a very, very small discrepancy mm-hmm. before the stitching becomes a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll find that the 3D printed ones, unless they're extremely accurate 3D printers, um, they're best avoided. Mm. Um, but but obviously you can get into it at the very late. I mean, we're talking GoPros here, and they have to be hero blacks because they have to be 4K, mm. yeah, and, you, and only the heroes will do the 4K and I'll get to why they have to be 4K, right? That one doesn't look like he can calibrate it. It just looks like you stick the cameras in and shoot. In th- in th- yeah, in theory, they're all pointing in the right direction. Absolutely, yeah. And it should these, be good. these are real. This is really rigid. It's probably metal on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the 3D versions can be a bit flimsy, and then and also yeah, minute uh, discrepancies, um, and you're in trouble. So these these are all the sorts of um, <laughs> multi-camera um, mounts. This is a six, a GoPro six. Mm. These are all legitimate products that you can source, buy, that are they're available. Most, a lot of these multi-camera ones pretty much look the same. Mm. Um, the idea here is to come up with a design <laughs> so that the film back, the uh, sensor in the camera, is as close to the same point in 3D space as all the other cameras. Mm. And that's why it's a bit of a challenge to come up with a design to get them to all fit in but to bring those sensors as close as possible to to one point in space, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's underwater variations and then we start to get into some uh, – this is a 10-camera rig offering 360. Um, the more cameras you have, uh, the less distortion you have to deal with in the stitching process mm-hmm. because they overlap more. More, yeah. Well, presumably you could have a higher – uh, focal range, like uh, yes. lens. Yes, and resolution as well. Yeah. Um, you can you can find the happy medium in between resolution and uh, stitching. Yeah, yeah, and then play with the uh, the settings within those confines. So a lot of them, um, I think the, the minimum is two. You can actually get a two rig, a two camera mm-hmm. rig. This is one here, mm-hmm. two GoPros. They offer, um, and these these have fittings. See these here? These are these are fisheye lens mm-hmm. fittings. Notice. The camera we're being recorded in has a lens cover. Mm-hmm. That just came with the that outer shield cover that I brought, but it's similar. It just locks on mm-hmm. and provides fisheye. Mm-hmm. Cool. So you've got two fisheyes back to back, and um, it offers 360, 180, right? So that's probably the cheapest you'll get is two GoPros like this um, to that quality if they were Hero 4s. So we start to come down, and there's lots of variations. We start to get uh, DSLR. Uh, versions, 
notice they're still trying to struggle. The bigger the camera, the harder it is to get all of them mm-hmm. to that one fixed place in space. <clears throat> and when you don't get them close enough, you have to do all sorts of weird things in post. Mm-hmm. The stitching process, you have, to, you have to judge that offset and mm-hmm. get it absolutely millimetre perfect. Um, but once you do it, you can lock it in and you can go out and shoot with that rig over and over again. And so here we've got two fish eyes back to back, 4K. We're starting to see this. This is Kodak, right? Samsung. There's a, there's there's some big players playing in this space at the moment. Mm. Yeah. So we're still looking at multi-camera rigs, and when we come down to these uh, single-camera bodies, right? So what you're talking about here is it's one camera with multiple lenses, all feeding their image into the same processing unit in the middle. So we're starting to get into a purpose-made product rather than a rig. That's yes, absolutely. That's presumably auto-stitching already. And yeah, yes, the up. software yeah. usually comes with it because it's been ca- so well calibrated. Yep. Mm. Um, you are, The unknown variables get removed and yes, the stitching becomes a lot more easier, mm. provided you can get the resolution. And so when you enter into this world, you, you you have to pay big dollars to make sure you get the resolution, and they do start to get bigger with mm. that resolution because and there's heat. Heat is a problem. There's a bunch of things, um, but yeah, you're starting to see these little tiny cams, these little sort of uh, hand like fit in the palm of your hand bubble cams and things like that with multiple um, lenses all leading to the one processor. This is a um, <laughs> single camera fisheye back to back. Stick it on a tripod. <laughs> Pretty cool. That looks ridiculous. It's it, like it looks absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, the camera's got two lenses, one on either side. It's yep. like what crazy person invented that? Nikon. Yeah, yeah. So big players, man. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. So these are all, and <clears throat> these ones here, you've got a lens on the back mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. and so they're all fisheye, right? They're all pretty much fisheye lenses. Um. So we come down. Most of them pretty much do the same thing. Some beautiful designs. Mm. Some stunning looking designs. And these are stereoscopic, so, so you can imagine the ones we saw at the top <laughs> ramped up. <laughs> There's some crazy shit going on this here. It's like, you know, when a, when, a, when a Rubik's Cube goes wrong, yeah. you know, it's like. Like 12 GoPros. Do you know how much that would cost? Well, we, we're probably paying about 500 for a GoPro Black at the moment. Um, so, yeah, do the math. It's a pretty expensive exercise. The, I, I, will, I will now predict that within – Next ten years, we will probably have Google Street View in VR, <laughs> yeah, yeah, where we can we don't have to jump from image to image anymore, but we can mm. smoothly yep. w- go through it and see everything in stereo. Absolutely, mm. and stalk whoever you want in virtual <laughs> space <laughs> in real time. It's pretty crazy, yeah. Huh? So look at these stuff. These stereo rigs are uh, are pretty intense, um, but they sort of explain what's going on pretty pretty simply. So a lot of this tech is is from the top. It's just rolled into stereo. Um, look at that. That looks like it. It's oh, those are red. They're dragons, mate. Holy they need a bloody tank to just move that thing. <laughs> yeah, that's it right. It would weigh a ton, wouldn't it? Yeah. And if you dropped it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what each one, each one is worth fifty thousand dollars. Well, they're dragons. Dragons are worth. Yeah, if it's a if it's a red. I think dragons are worth epic? close to fifty. Yeah. The epic is the the one we've got is like top of the mm. top of the slate. Mm. Yeah. Um, but that's an investment. I've got a feeling this is similar, except not stereo. I'm going to have a, have a look into no, it. No, no, it does, no, because stereo. they're two, two parallel. No, I mean parallel. that film that I was talking about earlier, I, they shot with reds, but I don't know whether they shot stereo. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. They might have. Mm. They were backed. 
They were funded, mm. right? There's people, um, there's studio money going into this stuff at the moment. They want to develop the pipeline. They mm. want to develop the tech to support. That's that's what I wanted to discuss with you mm. guys. I'm just going through the tech here for a sec, but I want to discuss with you guys the what, what are we talking about here? Because this is this is major. How the hell do you do yeah. dailies when it's a 360 piece of footage? You know, how do you direct? What about the clouds? You know, what are you doing with this? It's, it, there's so many questions, and mm. I just I want to know: is this a fad? Mm. Well, I've seen um, fads spend money like this before. Yeah, is 3D a fad? Stereo, just it's regular, gone. regular. I'm gonna, 3D. I'm gonna finish up with that because I've got a site <clears throat> that I go to. It's called Real Versus 3D, and basically this guy swears by. He does the research. He goes into mm. the production uh, documentation and everything to try to find out did they shoot this film mm. 3D. Mm-hmm. Some of them publicise it. Others they 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 don't say it until someone asks them, sort of thing. And so what what he's sh- what I'm seeing is not only there's a massive reduction in films being shot 3D, stereoscopically, mm. but we're also seeing a reduction in films being stereoscopically converted. Mm, mm. That means both ends of the spectrum are, are shrinking. Mm. Yet every man and his dog just went and bought a 3D telly. We bought the telly because the media mm. was being released. If they're not making the media anymore, mm. then it could go the way of the fad. It's lasted so much longer than I would have thought. Same I here. Thought, I, I thought this is going to be over in two, three years because nobody's going to be interested. And it's been going on for 10. It's been lingering. More. It hasn't been like sort of, well, from my perspective, it hasn't been like rocketing off. Yeah. It's just been sort of hovering around. Yeah. What, the, way I, the way I look at it is 3D tech at the moment is, has got two ends of the spectrum as far as what can be sitting in your lounge room. Yeah. One you're watching what the director wanted you to watch, that they went out there and shot with st- with stereo rigs and they directed it properly, knowing that you're going to have goggles on and you don't want to be sick and, and you mm-hmm. know the way they frame it and everything, right? Mm-hmm. That's one end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. The other end of the spectrum is this cobbled together piece of shit that, that uses the low-end domestic tech to play it, but also they, they filmed it the wrong way. It's conversion is shit, right? I think too much has been squished down here and it needed to be, it's like surround sound. You know how you get the pseudo surround sound Mm. and then you get the real surround sound, which is real surround sound is is like DSP. It started as DSP, digital surround field processing, where they went into um, church halls in Vienna and and they went all over the world and they recorded the spaces and they put that on a chip Mm -hmm. and that chip was made to a standard. Right, the Dolby standard, and then when people made films, they made them to those standards. It's the same with 3D. When you make a 3D film, you're making it to a standard. The color, the you know, there's so much better. But when you buy a television, most of the time, something has to give. Now, if you've got passive glasses, resolution goes out the window straight away because mm-hmm. you have to pl- you have to halve the field rate mm. for every frame. So you so you lose half the resolution gone. Mm. Mm-hmm. The active stuff is good, but the color re- representation is shit, mm. right? You have to pay the money. Mm. If you pay the money, the experience is unbelievable. And I defy anyone to watch Avatar or Hugo that has been shot deliberately for 3D to mm. be shown. I mean, Cameron released tech to the cinemas. Like he he wouldn't let you play his film unless there were certain minimums maintained. Mm-hmm. Off that an entire culture was born. But 
too much went to the cheap end, the jalopy, the 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 carny end, mm-hmm. the the charlatan snake peddler mm-hmm. end. Mm-hmm. It wasn't real. It wasn't real three D. So I think it's died a bit of a death. And we need another avatar, otherwise we're in trouble. Because I love it. I love three D. When I watch a film that's shot three D. Like any any three D animated film is three D because they just create a second camera and mm. but they don't all look equal. like I watched Kung Fu Panda recently which was three D mm-hmm. it was definitely not directed three D mm-hmm. like you made you sick yeah yeah they didn't un- they the, the focal point kept jumping around and mm-hmm. yeah there's a there's a way to shoot three D but okay let's come back here we're starting to get into some pretty impressive rigs here. Um, this one is, do we get into a new, oh no, we're still in stereo rigs, right? Look at that thing. That one is the Death Star. That is crazy. From space. <laughs> at least you don't have to carry that one. You can just roll it. No, nice design here. Let's, let's go with a brick. Um, so now we're looking at stereoscopic single camera bodies. Look at that thing. Love it. So this is stereoscopic single camera. So all of those lenses are going back to one brain. Right. This has obviously got to be the future of how these things work, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, And then, then it's already stitching the image together for you. In the output. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The transcoding would stitch it. Still not sure what this thing is. Don't really know what that is. Um, the Vus, I've seen this one before. Um, this one here, they stick on a beach. I remember seeing an ad for it. They stuck it on a beach, and then a guy was on the beach, but on the other side of the country. So around and whatever. Um, one of these here, not sure which one. We start to talk about sound as well. Stereosco- uh, not stereo sound, 360 sound. So you record mm. with directional microphones. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these d- <clears throat> devices, and I think it's one of these ones here, where the, the microphone actually records directional. So when you go like this. The sound actually works. It makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah it works perfectly for you. Um, look at that thing. So, scuba, some cool looking rigs. Look at that thing. Holy shit. Um, invisible drones. So drones, they're unlucky um, because carrying four um, GoPros is a bit heavy. You have to generally use these fisheye rigs um, or very light single rigs. Um, Single processor rigs. Drones will become more powerful. Look at that thing. <laughs> that looks like a purpose-built drone wrapped around the rig. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's awesome. Love that. Um, so this is first-person <laughs> POV rigs. Look what at that. The, holy dooly. That's that thing that Darth Vader was in. That's not cumbersome and obtrusive. You have to eat through a straw. <laughs> So uh, video rigs, broadcast rigs, that, that I think this is one that you tend to print, but yeah. I think you can buy it, but I think a lot of people um, print their own. Okay, these are these, um, where is it? Let me come down to cylindrical rigs. Notice the GoPros tend to be turned on their, their end and then you get maximum widescreen coverage top to bottom. Mm-hmm. and um, a lot of them do it that way. Mirrors, they use mirrors as well, so you can see the cameras are also pointing up. Interesting. Yep. And the goal is always to get a one of these. 
Awesome. Right, so that's what you. That's pretty much what you're trying to capture. You're trying to capture 300. You notice on the left hand side or the extreme left of the screen, you've got AX, mm-hmm. and over here you've got IM, mm-hmm. and it perfectly uh, match. It's an IMAX uh, thing, and it it perfectly matches. This one's um, pretty nice, actually. Um, so that's the goal when we when we go through these pieces of equipment, they all have their strengths and weaknesses, but ultimately their goal is to create a 360-degree spherical image. Okay, these are these uh, parabolic mirror rigs. So essentially you film a mirror that's that's bent mm-hmm. and that gives you the image. This one looks pretty cool, huh? Mm. And obviously one of the downsides to this is um, – the other side, like if you feel, film the top of this, you're not filming what's behind this. Some of them do, though. In, they, they work some magic where a percentage of the shot goes through a hole and they're actually filming what's behind it through a hole and then they get the rest of it here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is just an attachment, is it? Yeah. For normal, for normal DSLR? Yep. Absolutely. Just stands on a tripod of faces up. The This would give you – you have to choose where you want the hole, whether you want it in the sky or on the floor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it'll, it, there's definitely going to be a hole. Um, 115 degrees, there's definitely a hole. Well, there's a hole in one area and opposite is a huge, big freaking lens. Yeah. Because you film your own camera there. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you've got to, uh, you've got to sort of get rid of the camera as well. So there's quite a few of these, and I've got a feeling these are these have got a little bit more time on the market than some of the new stuff that's that's popped up. And there's quite a few, quite a few solutions in that parabolic. This looks like, <laughs> like a, a it's a blender, blender. isn't it? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Making lunch. It's <laughs> some crazy shit. And then you've got uh, yeah, attachments for mobile phones. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, this looks pretty cool, and this could be a good solution for. Um, um, for HDR um, or at least reference images of locations and things mm. like that. It could yeah. be pretty cool, especially if it's an attachment. Remote light fields. That's the Lytro camera. That's yeah. that exciting thing that uh, – that's that's the new one. The old one is a yeah. camera which is like a big suitcase mm. in size with a sensor – which is 60 centimetres across. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 60 centimetres diameter. It's seven, seven foot long. So the camera is, is huge, mm. uh, but the beauty of those is that they will actually, they will actually film stereo uh, parallax. Yeah, So absolutely. you will have a certain area in which you can yep. see parallax distortion, parallax mm. changes. Mm. It's, it's a game changer. Um, Lytro is a game changer. We'll, we'll definitely talk about Lytro as a, as a major sort of individual topic, I reckon, because... Where it's going is um, it'll broadcast the next soccer World Cup <laughs> off the field. <laughs> I like it. Thirty six sensors. So these are single camera body. Uh, oh, multiple sensors. So you have got multiple sensors. A sense single unit, multiple sensors, multiple lenses. <laughs> Pokemon. Cool. So what we're looking at there. Is some pretty pretty crazy <laughs> shit. Now that that is either a geek or a nerd. Is she playing the harmonica is while she's probably. filming? Now, 
off the off the uh, off the top of your head, when do you, when do you no, think mankind was starting to look at uh, uh, three sixty video, three sixty film? Give me a okay, give me so a decade. If the, if the cameras didn't look modern, I would say I mean this kind of rig you could have done. You know, Edward Muybridge could have done this. You know, in the early early nineteen hundreds. So. What do you, what's your guess? Lock it in, Eddie. For 360 um, video or images? Movies. Movies. Film. 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 Movies. 360 film. So you're asking when was it first attempted? Yes. When did we, as a serious endeavour. As a, as a human endeavour. When do you think we started playing with this stuff? You'd be surprised. Uh, I was surprised people, when I saw it. You know, the first film ever made was... Developed for color, of course. The first film developed, made, invented was color, because why would you start with black and white? Um, stereo was done in right from the outset as well. This, so the I wouldn't cine- be surprised. The yeah, cinerama. Okay. okay, you 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 trumped me, but I was gonna guess nineteen hundreds, either yeah. before yeah. the First World War or afterwards. I'd say from the outset, yeah. as soon as people yeah. had cameras, they were trying all different kinds. I of think things. Yeah. no, no, that's the general rule. As soon as people got cameras. They started doing weird stuff with them. They started yeah. geeks started friggin' they'd they'd film a mirror, yeah. you know, in the field of view, and then somebody off screen would be doing something in the mirror, and you have ah, you've got some special crazy effects going on. So this is this is some of the technique. Do you see the cameras here down here? Is this a so this is all projected around here? This is a hot air balloon. Well, the hot air balloon, I think, is for effect. Like the, it's meant to okay. sell the okay. the experience that you're floating over this, uh, okay. this thing. Okay, cool. And this is the tech. Yeah. Okay, but how do you view it? The inside well, of you, the- it's being projected onto. Yeah. Oh right, right, right. So you can you can hang on. It. What are those? Those are projectors or cameras? They're projectors. They're projectors. Yeah. Right, See the film okay. film going through, and so it projects out through the holes here onto some sort of surface. Oh, right. So, see, there's the cylinder down the... So, mm. this is the, the film. Okay, yeah. I, I'm getting the... Yeah. I'm getting the yeah. 19, 1900, wasn't it? Where Does this thing... This 1900 this thing? Paris exp, Exposition. And this is... Um, Cinerama. Look at that, man. That's 1901. Look at that. Wow. Is that not? That is... That is. That, <laughs> that is. I was, I, I was blown away when I saw that. It's much more impressive back then Absolutely. because you, that, yeah, wouldn't, you wouldn't go to Pompeii or Rome or anything. You can just go to Paris and, yeah. you know, just watch the street life in a different country. Absolutely. Uh, look at the rig. Yeah. How similar does that look to <laughs> some of the rigs? If you, if you take the composite materials out, mm-hmm. replace them with um, or, or add composite materials where aluminium or tin or metal was used here, but essentially it's doing exactly – they're using mirrors. That's a mirror rig. Yeah. How sick is that? <laughs> That's crazy. It is. That's it there. In oh, wow. in the flesh. The the hardest job was probably synchronizing all those cameras to yeah, play at the yeah. same I'm thinking how to play this... the same frame at the same time. And when you say stitching the image together, yeah. you're probably talking about a much more literal yeah. literal thing than a digital thing. Yeah. Right? This is yeah, well, this is like what, what we do with the Enlightened Festival. Mm. You project onto a wall and you arrange your cameras so that they sort of mm. slightly overlap. Mm. And the they stitching overlap. is the real stitching time on, is, on the wall. Mm. can be prepared, but then you have to get the thing going. Mm. Yeah. You the, have a certain length for which the film runs through and then you have to change the magazine mm. and then you have to get everything running again at the same frame. The, um, 
the ca- calibration process would be incre- just incredible, mm. wouldn't it? Yeah. But they were, they were smarter when it came to mechanics and ingenuity, mm. I reckon. You know, mm. we, we've got a bit lazy. Well, the John Q. Citizen got a bit lazy. You know what I mean? Most most guys walking around had a trade. They were fitter and turner. They were plumber, mechanic. You know, they did something. Um, There's a lot of stuff going on in the 1900s. Aeroplanes are being invented. Cars are being invented. Yeah. Submarines are being invented. Yeah. Um, panorama photography is being invents, invented. Mm. It's a lot like today mm. in a lot of ways, really, isn't it? And there's a lot of there's a lot of theories. Mm. Um, the most common being the train, like the ability to travel long mm. distances in a very short amount of time. Steam, well, steam power. and that in the industrial revolution. Yeah, industrial and revolution kicks everything. It off. was a it was a quickening, like a, it mm. was sort of building to that point, mm. and um, they just took advantage of it at the right time. Mm. Yeah. It's fascinating stuff. So these are—I won't go through these in, in detail—but these are these are sort of a different array of. Um, some of them are common, but you'll see some here that are unique to that one. That we, and that's six months difference in the in the two articles. Well, this is oh, right. this is from June. The other one was from July, mm-hmm. uh, January. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was there's a couple here that are in the other one. You can walk into JB right now and buy that. Mm. We've got a student actually in the first year, and I'm teaching guys how to do HDR images or at least reference reference images and stuff like that. And he approached us at the end of the lecture last week to inform us that he, I think he works at JB, so he's got a good price. A bunch of them have chipped in and they're buying a, a job lot of these things. Mm. They come in, in 4K. So that's it's a 360 camera. It, it doesn't miss anything. Like that's what they're bragging. It's the 360 camera that misses nothing. I, I th- there must be a lens on the bottom. I've never seen both sides of it. Yeah. Mm. But, yeah, you can walk into JB tomorrow and get this at 4K. And I think it's pre-stitched. Like I think it transcodes out stitched. Right. It should if it's pre-assembled like that. Mm. Yeah. Can I just um, just do another highlight um, back to 1900? You know the Wright brothers? Yes. They're bicycle repairmen. Yeah. Right? They, they work in a bicycle shop. And they, in theory, they did build a bike – to start with, and then they realised the bike was too heavy. Well, this is the sort of thing is that they're cobbling together, and we're seeing the same thing here, right, yeah. where, you know, some guy who works at JB Hi-Fi <laughs> knows he can buy these things and he can stick them all together in a weird way and then something crazy happens. Anyway, yeah, it's awesome. This thing's cool. So, yeah, um, there's some big players. I didn't even know Kodak still existed. Mm. I was so convinced that Kodak went belly up because they tried to flog the film thing way longer than they should have mm. and never got on board digital. Yeah. But they're still around. They're making cameras. So mm. where not to stick your GoPro rig? <laughs> okay. Real time. Oh. <laughs> what you try and get it? <laughs> catch it, catch it. No. Now, look at this. $5,000 reward. You can keep your money, mate. <laughs> oh, 500 yeah. That's epic. Well, it's empty. I love that the lens covers just, just pop off. He lost half his yeah. oxygen worth of tank just yeah. there in one gas. <laughs> <laughs> he would have been so dirty. 
Because you're talking about incredible jaw pressure, and that's a big shark as well. <laughs> and the sharks are like, yeah. mm, no. So that's where you don't stick your camera. But if you stick it in the right place and you've got a good idea, like Justin Lin. Cool if they had to film with that, actually. Yeah. The film of that would be amazing. <laughs> Who's swimming down to get the camera? <laughs> Um, I I went through all those emotions when I first, like those same thoughts and emotions when I first saw it. Mm -hmm. It's like, I get it. No, don't get it. (laughs) Oh, no, now we can't get it. (laughs) Um, So, yes, Justin Lin uh, created Help, which is a um, a 3D short film. Well, not a 3D short film. It's, uh, at least I don't think it's 3D, but it's a 360 film Mm -hmm. in collaboration with Google, I believe, Mm -hmm. Um, partnered up with Google. And um, it's pretty impressive. I'll, where is it? Let me just play a couple of little sections of it. Without, oh no, we can leave it a little bit sounding. So, all right, so we've got some uh, meteor, meteor storm potentially out off worldly. Oh. So we're on rails, right? Mm. So we're traveling through this narrative on rails, but we get to look anywhere we want. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you start to see this for the first time, and I want you guys to watch this when you go home, you know, sit down at some point in the next couple of days, watch it, and you'll start to realize the problems that, that you would run into trying to film this shit, mm-hmm. getting people to look in the right direction. Mm. Yeah. So if we play on here a little bit, Especially if you don't have headphones that where, where sound cues could direct you. Into Absolutely. The direction. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we've got, so, and we can do that, right? She's sneaking over. And there's something in the hole. Oh, it's coming up. Okay. So something's going on. Now I'm going to point this way and mute it. Where do I look? Where am I looking? Oh, something just flashed in front of me. Where did it go? Is that, oh, there it is. Okay, I'll look at it. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know whether I should keep looking at it or not. Is there anything else happening? I mean, it's interesting, so I'll keep looking at it. And it ran that way. So, essentially, I just don't know where to look. So... So we must have sound. Otherwise it becomes incredibly challenging to get me to. So we're running away from it. What's in front of us though? Mm. Okay, so she, look, that's locked. How would I, like, I would have missed all that. And now on rails, if I had stayed looking at the monster, I'm now backpedaling out the door and I don't know that I've just jumped out of the, the door and... So this is certainly not a critique of the filmmakers. Mm. I just, it's not even a real critique. It's just an observation. So they spent some money on this. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just have a quick look at, let's come over to YouTube here for a sec. And let's have a look at who was involved down here. The mill. Mm. Yeah. So they didn't muck around. 
Um, they had a full crew. That that is that is a good crew of people involved in that. Mm. Um, you've got software leads, so people are writing tools, writing software, um, and yeah, they they didn't muck around at all with this production. So I'm going to try to dig out a lot more information about it, and we'll maybe focus on it a little little more in depth down the track. Um, but I don't want to. I definitely don't want to play. Keep playing it. Um, things like this, like notice the camera's low to the ground. Mm-hmm. The 3D view, the the pinching and the skewing and the things that happen in that 3D space, mm-hmm. they tend to get magnified when you get close to the close to the ground because mm-hmm. the perspective sort of does weird things. Um, yeah, so this will be the last thing, and this thing spun me out a little bit. So this is a marketing video that Disney created to advertise um, Jungle Book. Now, this is called Mowgli, Through Mowgli's Eyes. And I started watching this and then started freaking out because, especially when I heard that, something They're going flying, on. flying away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In the direction that you're not, away from the direction that you're not looking. And, and I don't know which way to look. I, oh, I just saw some movement here, right? So, so I'm seeing a snake, mm-hmm. but I can't see the head of the snake. Where the hell is this Hi, snake? And now it's talking to me. <laughs> there it is. Oh no, don't be scared. I'm not gonna hurt. So you. I can look anywhere I want, but I can't run. Mm. This is a big snake and I can't run. It's a very uneasy <laughs> feeling. Because <laughs> I can look around. It's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're tied to your seat or you something can or other. Me if you want. I'll keep you close. Let go of your fear now. Trust in me. <laughs> a little dodgy. The, the animation was a little dodgy so, yeah. at the end there. But I thought that was a good tr- contrasting thing. Like there's mm. some advantages there. That spooky. I mean, imagine a, a, a real horror. Um, shot that same way where you're sort of trapped, You've, you can't run. And you don't have a reprieve either. There's no cutting away to something else that's happening. All these shots are, of course, by the, by, out of necessity, continuous. Mm. And one, I would argue that probably the single most important tool that the filmmaker has of telling a story is the ability to edit. Mm. Absolutely. The fact that you can not just direct your viewer's view with, you know, with line of action and with, with, with uh, perspective and color and light and just the placement of objects, you can certainly direct where in the frame people want to, look, want to watch. But the edit, mm. jumping from one area to another is, is extremely yeah. powerful tool that the filmmaker has in order to control you, what you're feeling. I'm seeing... Uh, and they're uh, totally losing that. Yeah, yeah, skin. absolutely. I mean, editing, we, we developed an, an editing sensibility to, to narrative to- storytelling over 100 years and jump cuts and fades to black and there's, there's these things that we developed to relate passage of time. Um, when there's a serious conversation happening, do I want to see the person saying it or the person hearing it? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's totally it's, a different story. Absolutely, on who you want absolutely. To yeah. And so, what do I do as a director? Do I frame it up so I've got them both in the one shot? 
and the list goes on and on and on. So what I want you guys to do, if you can, is keep an eye out for stuff. And we'll retouch this in, in a couple of months with that with that passage of time in between. Um, so don't, don't knock yourself out to look for it. It'll come your way no matter how you look at it. Um, and even if you try to hide from it, you won't be able to because they're going to saturate the shit out of us soon. Mm. Um, but I think if we can crack it, I think if we can find the holy grail there of, of how to, to do this stuff, we can offer we can offer people young young people wanting to get into this. I mean this this is a this is a genre of film that hasn't existed. Although mm. we saw it in nineteen oh one, we really haven't. It hasn't been taken seriously. And now we've got major Disney. We've got major players injecting money into this thing. They want to use it, and we need to try to breed the people that are going to be ready to use it. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. But we've got to find the formula. How the hell do you tell story with this shit? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and you have to develop the tech, but then you have to develop the art that goes alongside of it. And that's the thing, isn't it? Like, And I think one of the takeaway messages, at least for me at this time, is to just remember that, you know, you're not comparing apples and oranges. Um, I mean, you're not comparing oranges and oranges, apples and apples. This is not a – it's it's not film. It's different from film. Mm. It's a merging of film and game. You know, yeah. so yeah, the way that you do things, yeah, the, the people have to develop the art form. Um, one immediate thought that I have, and probably want to develop this a little bit further, is the notion of replayability, and that's the acceptance that you don't get the story in the first time, and that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way I was selling it to my when I when I started teaching, <clears throat> um, and I just got interested in this virtual three sixty sort of. Thing I, I would say to my students, you're you're at the precipice. You're you're right at the birth of something that you're going to be heavily invo- involved with. Mm. It's and it is. And when you when it when it's a camera this big and you can stick it anywhere and it takes full three sixty at four K, which mm. is you know it could be tomorrow we mm. could see something like that. Um, they might have already developed it. They just haven't worked out how to market it, and it's just sitting in a in a locked room somewhere. Students, if we can. I used to tell students that in your lifetime, and for the first time I can say in my lifetime too, we will be able to buy a ticket and go in and watch a movie where you're the cameraman, where mm. you're you can. And I'm I don't mean this stuff. I mean virtual that is so photoreal that I can be the fly on the wall. I can be the steady cam. I can be. I can stand anywhere. Mm. I can stand right in the middle of the conversation. Mm. You know what I mean? Or I can watch the whole thing from afar. That means I can watch the same film a million different times. It starts to become uh, a, like- sorry, a million different ways and see a million different stories. I was talking with somebody, I don't know who it was, about the, the sort of the parallels with game and what you have to do in a game, Star Citizen, is you have to go to planet XYZ to find out what's on planet XYZ yeah. and you're not going to know until you go there. So imagine a movie experience where – there's things happening over there. There's things happening over there. Yeah. And it doesn't tell you that at the start and you go and witness a conversation or you witness a something or other and yeah. then something else happens and then you realise, oh, that's that's an important character, obviously. Yeah. I'm going to have to watch this again. Again, that's but right. But I'm going to have to go and find where that part and, of the story started. And your best mate says, oh, did you see that thing? <laughs> no, no, I haven't seen that yet. <sighs> I didn't that's even see right. that. Yeah, so yeah. now I've got to watch it because he I'm, saw it. I'm sticking all this together in my mind. Yeah. So the script is... Mm-mm. More about scripting uh, a series of events, mm. and then the viewer is some sort of watch, private eye investigator just watches the events. Yeah, like, yeah, and they can be 
right in the middle of it. Mm. But there's challenges. There's definitely challenges. Mm. You, it's a crime thriller, right? And the SWAT team kicking the doors. How do you stop the viewer walking out with the SWAT team? You accept. This is my answer right now. Is you accept that the viewer may in fact do that. That's right. And you've just got and to embrace it. And the viewer has to accept that when they're watching the film, yes, they may do the wrong thing. That I think that's the secret. I honestly think that's the secret because I've given this, given this a lot of thought. And the more I think about it, there is no solution. So the only solution is to stop looking for a solution. Yeah, yeah. It's a new medium. Not in Kansas anymore. It's a new medium, <laughs> and people are going to miss shit. Yeah, you know what I mean. We yes, we can use audio. Right, but yeah. there's a fine line before that becomes abusive. Mm. Right, you don't want to abuse that. You need to use it sparingly and correctly. But if they miss it, that's okay. Mm. It'd be interesting to have a story that is told from two different viewpoints. But the first time you watch it, you really just see it from the first viewpoint. Like say a murder mystery, Rashomon. and uh, but the murderer you can, and you the victim act- and the victim and or the police the detective, and you see it from the detective's yep. standpoint. But you learn enough information that the next time you watch it, you could. Start taking, seeing things that uh, from the murderer's perspective, yep. taking his journey, uh, reverse engineer where he was the day before. Next time you watch it, be there. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Sort of that's a, oh. that's Rashomon, the, the, right? The, the the choices are endless. You know our our investigation of the Oscars or whatever it yeah. is the Academy was. That's Rashomon. This is exactly what the movie was doing. Yeah, told the same story three times from three different perspectives, mm. and all of the stories are different. Yeah, well, but they're all the same thing. Hoodwinked. Hoodwinked, yeah, like yeah. a forty million dollar animated film, brilliant narrative for that reason. Mm. That it literally, mm. it was police questioning a bunch of witnesses, and they were telling you what they saw, mm. and and all three, all mm. four or five stories, the way they sort of interlocked and mm. totally different. Mm. It's it's interesting. Game change. That's it. That's why I wanted to bring this whole thing up. So this will be a uh, a common thing that we'll come back to, mm-hmm. because I don't think we're going to avoid it. And I'd rather watch it develop. Yep, and be part of it. All right, awesome. So that's um, that's our first show with uh, with three geeks in the in the wheelhouse. I think a, a success, <laughs> definitely. Mm. And um, and next time we we get Tom on board, we're definitely going to spend the show looking at eighties cult sci fi films. So I know Tom has one in mind. <laughs> I've definitely got one in mind. The Last Starfighter is my Ooh, '80s sci-fi. CG. Yeah, I know. Well, I the could, Scal- the uh, Excalibur tale, the uh, Arthur tale. I could probably add yeah. Tron then as my favourite. Tron. Mm-hmm. So the next time we come together, mm-hmm. which at this point we have no idea when, um, mm-hmm. that's what we'll have a look at. Mm. And uh, and we'll go from there. Thank you very much, Tom, for coming along. Thanks very much for inviting me over. Dan, yeah. any parting words, my friend? Well, we have to have a call to action, don't we? Yes. I picked it last time. So he's, uh, maybe, Tom, what do you think is a good call to action before our next show? Uh, stuff to research to look into. Yes. Yeah. Ooh, you put me on the spot here. Uh, we've, we've damaged your brain. Of the 18th century. Which has been the 18th century. Um, well, I, I think it's um, good uses, perhaps, if I can suggest one, yeah. good uses of um, 360 cameras. Yeah. Um, and the way that they tell stories. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So that might be it. Very good. Um, and we have a sign off that Tom invented. Yep. Uh, out of necessity, only at work today. Yeah. Yes. So, Tom, can you sign us off with the, the sign off? Uh, 
Save Often, was it? Save Often. Save, Save Often. often. 